You are listening to the Big Blue Rock Pod, produced by the Kentucky Geological Survey at the University of Kentucky. This podcast is a fun, conversational approach to discussing all things geology and earth processes. We primarily focus on Kentucky. We talk emerging ideas and research, along with classic topics in earth science for all levels of interest. Let's do the show! And welcome to the Big Blue Rock Pod. I'm Matt Crawford, along with my co-hosts, Doug Curl and Sarah Arpin. How are you all? Good. How you doing, Matt? I'm good. Excited. This is a good one. Yeah, it's this a good this one. is a good one. Well, first, let me say this. Um, we're, we're still new at this, so I'm going to remind listeners to subscribe and follow and grab this podcast wherever you get podcasts. Uh, it's on the KGS website, but it is also on uh, many other popular podcast platforms. Subscribe, follow, whatever people do these days. Yeah, this is a this is a good episode, I think, for a couple reasons. One is the topic is Mammoth Cave, Mammoth Cave National Park in Kentucky, and who who doesn't love Mammoth Cave? It's amazing. Um, and the second reason is our very own co-host Sarah is also our guest. Um, so I'm going to ask Sarah to introduce herself in a nutshell. Tell us what she does, and then we'll get into the the nitty gritty of Mammoth Cave. Excellent. Yeah, I think that my mentioning of a cave every episode has worked off really well for oh, me already because now we have a whole episode finally, about caves. Finally, got to talk about caves. All right, get it on the list. <laughs> my master plan. Um, so, yes, as Matt mentioned, I am a hydrogeologist here at the Kentucky Geological Survey. I work in the water section, and one of my primary duties is to manage uh, the Kentucky Groundwater Data Repository. And so that contains information about water wells and springs in the state of Kentucky and any water quality or quantity information that we have about those uh, springs or wells. Part of the reason that I'm talking about Mammoth Cave today is because I worked at the park um, many years ago, uh, 2007, 2008. And so I've spent quite a bit of time in the cave and in the park and later got my master's degree at Western Kentucky University, where I studied the Haney limestone, which is a layer of limestone above the limestone units that Mammoth Cave is formed in. And so I'm pretty familiar with the area for several reasons. Uh, yeah. Don't, don't sell yourself short. You are an expert and we we want an expert to talk about Mammoth Cave and um, bring that to our listeners. So yeah, let's let's get into it. A couple of just sort of background, I think, facts that we should uh, set things up with. Mammoth Cave is a national park. Uh, it's located in southwestern Kentucky in Barron Hart Edmondson counties, and. You know, the national park system has a lot of different tiers, I think. And so Mammoth Cave is a, a top tier level national park, right? Like Kentucky has Abraham Lincoln National Historic Birthplace. Cumberland Gap is a national historical park, so it's not the exact same level. Mammoth Cave is like uh, on the big dog level of national parks, right? So it's, it's big a, South Fork. Uh, uh, yeah. a big South Fork. Big South Fork. Camp is Nelson it, is the newest oh, in the right. system, but yeah, or one of the newest. Yeah, but which we have a story map about. We do. We have a story map. Maybe we can talk about that one day. But uh, we should definitely do an episode on Big South Fork. Uh, it's a na Big South Fork is a national recreation area, I think, um, and a scenic waterway. I think. Yeah. In 2021, there were over 500,000 visitors to Mammoth Cave National Park, and we thought that was perhaps a low number just because you're coming out of COVID. Uh, tours were kind of kind of still limited, probably. We we were looking at the website, and like you know, several years ago, decades ago, you know, Mammoth was getting over a million visitors a year. So 500,000 may not be quite right. Um, it'll probably be increasing as we hopefully come out of pandemic. In 1926, Mammoth Cave was authorized by Congress as a national park. Uh, it was officially established by Congress in 1941. In 1972, Mammoth Cave was discovered to be, or established, I guess, to be the world's longest cave system. And that's kind of, that's the, the home run hitter kind of info, right? That's the, that's the claim to fame, right? This is the longest cave in the world, and that's that's super cool. So... 
tee a few things up to Sarah here. Um, I guess we should start with what is a cave. I think that sounds sort of silly, perhaps, but I, I think there's some things we can tease out of of the of uh, of that question and will help us as we go through it. What is a cave? Sure. So caves are formed by water flowing underground. Let me start with where that water comes from. So we have precipitation falling in the form of rain or snow. And as that precipitation comes through the atmosphere, it pices up carbon dioxide gas um, that mixes with the water. And then as that water reaches the Earth's surface and soaks into the top topsoil layer, you have your dead, decaying organic matter in the soil that's also being munched on by bacteria that put off your carbon dioxide gas. And so when the water mixes with this carbon dioxide gas, it forms a weak acid, which is carbonic acid. And to get an idea of just how weak that is, we actually drink carbonic acid. That's what makes our soda pops fizzy. So um, (laughs) think about caves in your gut, I guess, right? Uh, But so it's this carbonic acid then that dissolves away the rock underground as water flows through fractures and cracks in that rock and dissolves out these caves. And so that is is where these caves come from and how they're formed. And just just generally it's it's a the dissolving makes a void space, open space, air-filled space or water-filled space underground. Exactly. Of all kinds of shapes exactly. and, and lengths. Mm-hmm. And usually we're talking about limestone. The rock needs to be dissolvable by that carbonic acid. Yeah, okay. And so um, limestone is the most common thing. Other things that are dissolvable are salts and gypsums, but you don't find those except in really dry areas because they would be gone. Um, dolomite is another sort of carbonate. Right. And there are other features in like rock cliffs or uh, other environments that are called caves, but are probably are, are, are not actually this kind of cave we're talking about. There may be big rock overhangs and shelters that may be called caves, but they're, they're not and not formed in the same way. That's generally how caves form. This just carbonic acid dissolves the limestone. So let's talk about some of the rates of how this acid um, dissolves away the rock breaking through an inception to new new passages, h- how long it takes to dissolve these rocks. You want to say something about that? Sure. So what's considered an average growth rate of a cave or the average dilution, dissolution rate or the maximum, I'm, I'm sorry, the maximum in the environment would be about one centimeter per hundred years. And so uh, the normal range, I think, is uh, 10 to... 1,000 millimeters or 10 to 100 millimeters per thousand years. And so it's really a pretty slow process. Um, Caves that exist then are and are humanly interval are are actually quite old features. And that ratio is crazy to think about because we've already said that this is the longest cave in the world. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think to date, the length of Mammoth Cave is about 420 miles 676 kilometers. So keep that number in your mind as we go through this conversation. And then, you know, thinking about that dissolution rate of limestone and the length of cave we're talking about, it's pretty wild. Blends your mind. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's hard to think about. So um, what are some of the other controls on cave development and particularly mammoth, right? Mammoth is so it's so big, it's so long, and there's so many different types of passages and levels. Um, what are some other things that control uh, cave development at Mammoth? Sure. So there's generally the same, the same controls on karst development result in different types of caves and depending on the local environment. And so the lithology is one of the major controls. So for Mammoth Cave, we have over 450 feet of nice, dissolvable limestone rock stacked on top of itself uh, for the cave to form in. So we have good lithology that um, allows for the length to develop. And in, in addition to that, we have structure. And so you have these preferential pathways that the water is able to enter into the rock and dissolve away the rock. And so those are horizontal bedding planes, which is a dominant pathway 
that the water follows at Mammoth Cave. But um, vertical joints and fractures are also important. That's another way that that rock can travel downward into the ground. So structure is the second major control. Um, the solvent is the third major control, which really ties into climate and vegetation as well. So I kind of like lump those things together. Um, but the solvent, that's the carbonic acid that that's we talked about. That's the carbonic acid, yeah. Right. And so in the Mammoth Cave area, um, that's actually classified as a humid, humid subtropical climate without a dry season, and it gets a fair amount of rain. And so you could also think of it as a temperate rainforest, really, um, with 53.2 uh, inches of rain on average per year. And so there's a lot of water available to dissolve. And then if you think about the vegetation in the park, um, it's forested, right? We have a beautiful forest land on the surface. And so that results in lots of decaying, like leaf litter and stuff. And that's your source of organics. Exactly. Yeah, I hadn't, yeah. I hadn't thought about that. So you're always thinking about the, the rainwater absorbing carbon dioxide, but not, not the fact that it's also picking up carbon from leaf litter and and things like that, which having hiked there, there's a lot of, there's a, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of soil and a lot of, well, I want to go pretty. back to structure and lithology just for a second. So when we say lithology, we're, we are talking about rock type. And in this case, we're talking about limestone and limestone is a sedimentary rock. And you mentioned some structures that are common in uh, sedimentary rocks like limestone, like horizontal bedding. So that just means sort of the boundary between different types of the lithology, di different characteristics in the lithology, right, are separated by bedding planes. Uh, so it's a surface, right, amongst flatline, horizontal, sedimentary uh, limestones. And then you can get the vertical fractures that intersect uh, these flatline rocks. Yeah, and the, the flatlying rocks are very extent. I mean, since they're flat, they go right for a pretty long distance. They're not rocks in mountain areas are lifted up and turned sideways and folded and, and folded and all that kind of stuff. But but these are flat, and so they go for a very long distance. Yeah. Um, so a lot of a lot of limestone to work with, I guess, is kind of the point. Well, and or, the the. I don't want to jump ahead, but but the type of limestone really matters, right? The, oh. the characteristics of it. But did you did you want to finish up on on the solvent and and climate and vegetation stuff? Or? Um, I think the the last control was just gradient, which you sort of touched on in describing the bedding planes, right? And so the gradient in the Mammoth Cave region the beds dip northwest one-third to one-half degree. And so um, that's a really gradual uh, dip. It's about six meters per kilometer. And so it's not quite flat. Um, it's just a little little yeah. not flat, right? And yes. That's, so that's super important. That's a good way to say it. So let's clarify this. So we're, we've, we've just said that we have horizontal flatline sedimentary rocks. But what we're talking about is a regional dip to the greater area, right? To, the, to all the rocks in this part of Kentucky. So a regional slight incline to all these limestones. Um, ever so slightly tilted, which- Ever so slightly tilted. Which probably, I mean, I don't know for sure, so I'd have to check on this, but probably has something to do with adding vertical fractures as well. So, you know, whatever whatever's caused that that little bit of dip, that little bit of tilting, um, probably contributed to breaking the rocks a little bit and causing vertical fractures, which I guess you also need for the water to get down there. Okay, yeah, so, so why is the gradient important? Um, in this case, because it's such a gradual and long gradient, that water then has these long pathways they follow the water follows along the bedding planes over long distances, uh, gradually flowing downhill to the northwest until it hits the Green River, which is the base level sets that base level for the region. 
the answer to what that larger regional structure is that caused the dip um, is actually, it's the Illinois Basin. And this is the very, very edge, very southeastern edge of the Illinois Basin, which is actually a a large feature that goes up into Indiana and Illinois as well as Kentucky. Which we described, we described basins when we talked about Red River Gorge in our second episode, we talked about the Appalachian Basin, right? This is Western Kentucky's basin, which is called the Illinois Basin. It's home to, you know, the Western Kentucky coal field and different rocks. But yes, this is the south, what, edge? What, east? Southeast. Southeast edge mm-hmm. of the basin. Mm-hmm. So hence the gradual dip and gradient mm-hmm. in that direction. So that's a long flow path for water to travel, this this gradual dip towards the Green River which is one of the major things that plays into the length of Mammoth Cave. And before we get to that connection, this 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 is the I love this part, like the surface subsurface connection, Green River. Let's let's quickly talk about we mentioned lithology. So let's talk about the rocks that actually make up Mammoth. Um, do you want to say something about that? Sure. So Mammoth Cave is formed in three different limestone units the St. Louis, St. Genevieve, and Gherkin. So these are Mississippian aged aged sediment, sedimentary rocks. And so not only, oh, yeah. 300 million years ago. Yeah. I think that's about about right. Give or take. Yeah, just to give an age. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think like 320. 320 sounds about right. Okay. And so not only are those really important because that's the rock that it's formed in, um, but on top of that is the Big Clifty Sandstone, which is equally important to Mammoth Cave. That Big Clifty Sandstone is a cap rock for the region. So it protects the limestone below that cap rock from dissolving. And that's what allows the long cave passages to form beneath this cap rock. And so that that's an important piece of the story as well. If we just had the limestone it would all sort of level off and, and dissolve away um, more evenly. Yes, you wouldn't get the preservation underground mm-hmm. of the large voids. Yeah. And so what you end up having is in the Mammoth Cave Plateau, um, the sandstone-capped ridges. And between the sandstone-capped ridges, you have big, dry, they're called blind or hanging valleys, um, where at some point the sandstone was breached maybe there and so there would have been cave passage where these ridges connecting the different ridges um, but when these valleys then dissolved away it would truncate some of the passages of mammoth cave Um, but the the valleys are dry or blind or hanging valleys because all the water that lands in these valleys drains into these valleys drains underground so you don't actually have a surface stream exiting the valley, uh, it's dry. Um, and that's because all of that water then goes underground and enters into the Mammoth Cave system. Yeah. And and the St. Louis, the St. Genevieve, and the Gherkin, they are, I think, what geologists call pure limestones, right? You don't, there's not a lot of clays. It's almost pure calcium carbonate. And that's that makes for thick beds of pure calcium carbonate, which is uh, better for dissolving, right? There's not, not a lot of clays and other minerals that would inhibit uh, dissolution to make to make caves. Um, and also back to Big Clifty. Uh, so the Big Clifty is the cap rock, and that also, it, it allows better cave formation, but it also doesn't it inhibit some of the things that are kind of cool in caves, like dripstones and stuff. So you, you've got large areas of mammoth that that don't have a lot of stalactites or uh, dripstones because the cap rock prevents that water entering through the surface right there. Is that, is that right? Exactly. And so um, you actually can travel through passages of Mammoth Cave. And in many areas, you'll have gypsum uh, formations that line the walls. And so those are actually evaporite Evaporites, yes. formations. So it's dry enough in those passages where the water that's like seeping through the cave walls can precipitate out or 
or form these evaporative minerals along the walls. Now, those are in areas that are generally well beneath the cap rock, where the cap rock's not been fractured and it's not been sort of breached by surface water. Whereas as you get towards the sides of the ridges, that's when you actually start to see formations. And so a lot of times it's these truncated passages where the valley cut off and, and broke off this passage. But because there's no sandstone cap rock there, then you have formations that form. And that ends up even like forming the walls of the edges of the cave, basically. What's the, the famous tour? Where you can go frozen Niagara, the frozen mm -hmm. Niagara tour. That's mm -hmm. a, yeah, an amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, is dripstone the, still the right? Is that the right word? Oh, there's all kinds there's all, of yeah. words. Yeah. And so um, you've got dripstone, flowstone, flow stalagmites, yeah. stalactites, um, but they're all sort of calcite formations, right? Yes. Speleothems is a catch all. Yeah. Speleothems. And the gypsums are the, the box structures. Is that, are those different? Um, gypsum can form as like a crust yeah. on the outside. It can also form as like gypsum flowers yeah. or curls. Oh, maybe that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Gypsum flowers. flowers. Amazing. It, it's, I think, pushed through the pore spaces, um, which can cause it to sort of like curl as the water off the surface evaporates. Yeah, gypsum to calcium sulfate mineral as opposed to uh, calcium carbonate that makes up the limestone. Cool. So let's talk, let's maybe, uh, I don't know if we're jumping back, but this this connection, we talked about the regional dip slash gradient, but let's talk about that surface subsurface connection and how the Green River is related there. I guess I'm just thinking like, we know that's important for the cave development. So rain falls down, uh, lands on the surface, uh, flows into, let's say, a sinkhole or flows into another stream nearby. Th that's your connection, right? That's where it hits the that regional dip and heads toward the cave. So well, I, I guess I'm thinking of the sinkhole plain that's near the park that really plays a big role in this, in the surface-subsurface connection. Is that right? Absolutely. And so I think that the three the three things that really make Mammoth the longest cave in the world that contribute to that are that cap rock, that that gradual regional dip, and then the sinkhole plain. And so the sinkhole plain is um, south of the Mammoth Cave Plateau. There's an escarpment there, which I think is about 300 feet of uh, relief between the sinkhole plain and the Mammoth Cave Plateau. Is it outside the park boundary proper, the sinkhole it yeah, is. Yeah. And so that's so when you're driving. If you're driving there from I-65. Uh, 65. Yeah. Yeah, you see this big bluff that you're driving. The escarpment. Towards, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. You can see the escarpment and you can see some of the sinkhole plain too. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. and, and just, just look around. It's, it's <laughs> thousand. Haunted. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the, the sinkhole plain is the classic karst picture that's in most introductory geology it's, textbooks yeah, that we right. all fell in love with, right? Yeah. Like just... A huge area dotted with or topographic maps are fun to look at because oh, it's yeah. a bunch of little depressions <laughs> dotted <everywhere>. with depressions. <laughs> yeah, so cool. Yeah, the sinkhole plain is extensive south of that plateau, and so like Cave City, uh, Horse Cave, Bowling Green, basically all the way down to the Tennessee border and and into Tennessee uh, is the sinkhole plain, and so. That's broken up by various hydrologic divides, but everything sort of north of the Barren River then flows underground and follows this northwestern regional dip. Um, and so the sinkhole plain, sort of the difference between the sinkhole plain and the plateau is that the sinkhole plain doesn't have any of that cap rock. Right, right. And so it's all limestone exposed at the surface and it's pocked with all these sinkholes, which are probably developed where there was some weakness that that water could exploit to get underground, be that a fracture or something in the rock. Um, so you have these thousands of sinkholes that are all collecting water that falls on the sinkhole plain, and then it diverts that water underground, and the water follows this low gradual dip and actually flows beneath the plateau, 
and that the higher ridges of Mammoth Cave and exits all the way out at the Green River. So you have this really long gradual flow path. And so it's that contrast between the cap rock, the capped ridges and the broad uh, limestone sinkhole plain. And so that's what catches most of the water that's going through the system and dissolving it away, making Mammoth Cave and exiting along springs on the Green River. And that's been happening for millions of years. Mm-hmm. To, right. It's happening now, but it, it's been happening. I mean, I think you're going to talk about this, but yeah, we'll we'll get into like some more of the like the dating and the levels of Mammoth Cave. But this is a good point that that you bring, even even if we're going to get into some of more of that detail later. The sandstone capped ridges are actually. They have some of the slowest erosion rates um, in North America. And so the sandstone capped ridges really haven't changed in the last three or four million years um, elevation-wise. Their rate of erosion is about 1.7 meters per million years. So Is that just the quartzose? Sandstone of the big, I mean, the sand grains of the Big Clifty? Yeah. Just resistant? Super resistant to weathering. And so that sort of geologic setting has not changed much in in the past several million years. The single plain as well, now that you have such a developed underground drainage network, it's not really lowering that much either because all the water is going underground. It's not going away. Right. It's all soaking in. And so you have just a really mature, developed car system there. And it's looked like that for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, back to the green river. So these, uh, the water exits different cave passages at base level, which is green river. Mm-hmm. And so it, what's the famous spring, um, Turnhole Spring? Turnhole's a big one. There's Echo River Spring. There's River Sticks Spring. There's Pike Springs. These are all major uh, exit spring, spring, springs discharging along the Green River, basically. Okay, yeah. Do we want to talk about age now, more specifically? Sure. Let's get into it. This is, is, was there anything else on the surface, subsurface sort of stuff? I don't think so. I think that the next like really cool thing is is them looking into... Um, how old is Mammoth Cave? How old? We know how long it is. So I, I have a on the Big Clifty, that sandstone is kind of, is it pinched out at some point? So it doesn't exist over where the sinkhole plane is, right? So it pretty much starts where the ridge, the ridge is. And so this is, that's why that, I mean, if it didn't have the Big Clifty, the whole thing would be a big, huge sinkhole plane down to the Green River, probably, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I hadn't this... ever thought about that before. But... Kind of like the rim of the escarpment, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And I think that maybe they still don't know. I could be wrong on this. Um, but I think that they're still not really sure what created that escarpment in the first place, like why that difference exists. But yeah, because you have the... 300, 400 feet of relief difference between the single plane and the plateau, the Big Clifty Sandstone is only on the the plateau, yeah. um, whereas it dissolved away. It's removed from the single plane. Yeah, so that's, that's a, a really interesting yeah, question. Yes, like yes. Why is that boundary there? Yes. Yeah, I think if you jump at the age, that would be which is also related to the relationship between the Green River. Exactly. Related to the relationship with the Green River. Intricately related. (laughs) (laughs) But also there's not one age for the cave, but it's, it's, we have to think about this in terms of cave development, different passages, how fast the cave has been developing over all this time and, and how we then try to put an age on all that. Yeah, absolutely. And this is, I think, it's a classic paper. Um, I think it's my my favorite paper. Uh, the The authors are uh, Granger, Fable, and Palmer, um, and they used cosmogenic radionuclide dating of quartz pebble uh, sandstone pebbles, basically. D- Derek Granger at Purdue. That's correct. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And um, and Art Palmer and his wife Peg Palmer have been 
studying Mammoth Cave for over 50 years and have, have made some major discoveries and geologic interpretations of what's going on there. And so this is really just a classic paper. Um, Art and Peg Palmer mapped the geology of the cave. They actually brought a theodolite into the cave and, and went and measured dips um, locally in pas- passage by passage. He actually wrote the book, Geologic Field Guide to Mammoth Cave yeah. National Park, which is another classic, um, and really looked at the levels of the cave, which will come into play to this, and the shapes of the passage at the different levels to tease apart the story of what's going on. And so um, you've got this this combination of these methods that really sort of unlocked what was going on at Mammoth Cave and had huge implications for the landscape evolution of the region as well. And so um, Mammoth Cave has got five-ish levels. Mammoth's formed in, in levels of passages. And your and it's these levels are based on the base level for the region, which is controlled by the Green River, where the springs, the water that goes through the cave um, exits the cave. And so your oldest levels are going to be your oldest passages are going to be your highest levels that were formed first. And then as the Green River incised, the base level dropped and uh, subsequent levels were formed lower and lower. And so what Granger et al. did for this study was they sampled and measured aluminum and beryllium isotopes, radioactive isotopes, from these quartz pebble sandstones um, from on the surface and then at different levels in the cave where they found sediment deposits. And so this cosmogenic dating, basically how it works is that when you have these rocks, these quartz pebbles exposed at the surface of silica dioxide, and as the cosmic radiation, basically as they're exposed to sunlight, um, it causes aluminum and beryllium to form these radioactive elements within the quartz. And that goes on and these concentrations increase as long as it's exposed to the sun. But then as soon as it's no longer exposed to the sun, as soon as it's buried or deposited in a cave, that process stops. And then because these are radioactive, they start to decay over time. And they can look at when that process stopped and the rate of decay to figure out basically how long have these sediments been buried. And so what they found, um, say for, for levels A and B, your, your top two, your highest, oldest passage levels, um, there were huge sediment deposits in some of these. I think in some cases up to 50 feet of sediment. Um, so massive amounts. And they sampled these pebbles they found deposited in the cave. And for the top levels, they came up with an age of 3.5 million years. But what that actually means is that the cave passages were already formed and were starting to fill in with sediment at that time. And this sediment infilling um, is related to river aggradation. And so the Green River was incising, but then all of a sudden something shifted and it started filling up with sediment. And so they've related that to glaciation and correlated that with the glaciation of the region. So basically, as glaciation began, then that started building up sediment in the river system and backfilling these earliest cave levels full of sediment. So 3.5 million years is a minimum. That's when these cave levels already were developed. And some of these passages are, you know, 50, 80 feet tall. That's the age that that quartz pebble, say, for example, was buried. Exactly. Okay. And we know the cave has to be older than that. Exactly. Because it had to have somewhere to go. It had to have somewhere to be deposited. Yeah. Yeah. And so they think that, based on that, development may have began around 5 million years ago for those top-level passages. And that was during a time of long 
stability, where just ever so slowly the Green River was incising. And so that's why your upper levels are your largest levels as well, because you had this long period of stability before the glaciation started to influence the depth, the incision and aggradation of the Green River. Um, and so then subsequently, with the advance and retreat of glaciation, you have these cycles of aggradation and incision um, that occur. And so the first big one, the first big period of incision as, as base level drops um, is related to reorganization of the river systems and the establishment of this glacial margin river, the Tays, which we talked about uh, a couple episodes oh, yes. ago. Yes, our avid listeners of the Big Blue Rock Pod know all about continental all glaciation and the Tays. It's all coming together. We've planned this out amazingly. <laughs> So that that reorganization uh, and formation of the Taze River system uh, caused rivers to incise rapidly, and as they readjusted to the new path, flow path. So, so just to clear my mind here, uh, uh, continental ice sheets adva- advance. Your surface waters, like the Green River, have to adjust to that. Right? If you got more ice forming on the surface of the Earth, that's going to be less water. on the surface but when the ice retreats that's more water yeah they're melting they're melting that's more water that's more incision activated by by these surface yeah that's the fast Mm -hmm. period of incision that's the fast period the The green river adjusts to uh the retreat of the pleistocene uh glaciers at that time Right. The Green River is a tributary, I should have mentioned, of the this former Taze River system. Yeah. And and the, so, yeah, the aggradation occurs during periods of glaciation when you have a lot more like glacial till and things um, from that glacial scour process. And then as the temperature warms and you have more melting and retreat of the glaciers, you have more water. And so that's your exactly as you said, your rapid incision. And so that was one like major level where you had um, rapid incision in the cave. And then you had another period of rapid incision when this cycle repeated. And instead of the Tays, you have another readjustment that forms our modern day Ohio River, which the Green River is a tributary of. And so these are, are periods that they were able to like correlate the level of development in Mammoth Cave with this rapid uh, regional incision that was happening. And so, yeah, so super, super cool way to get at the age. And I mean, yeah, you think about, so most people look at, I think, you know, a planner map of the footprint of Mammoth Cave and you get all these, you know, tentacles of passages. But really it's cool to think about it three-dimensionally, I guess, which of course, that's how it exists in the real world. But just all, all those levels and the ages of those levels and the different processes that were going on to, to shape each one. I mean, it is, it's fascinating. And then to try to, yeah, constrain the age of, of all of that is I keep it's fascinating. The, the model at the um, visitor center, which is really good. You should visit Mammoth Cave yeah. and visit the visitor center, yeah. which you have to in order to do a cave tour. But um <laughs> They have a great one of those, you know, 3D model that shows these different levels, and that's what I have in my head when we're talking mm-hmm. about this. Yeah, because it's it's you have to see it in in that 3D context. But so the lowest level, you know, is at the Green River. Young, now, young, which should be the youngest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. which is the youngest. Still forming. Which is the opposite of what we do in geology because we always put the oldest <laughs> oh, on the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> so cavers are different. <laughs> um, but I assume now there's still cave development because we still have a sinkhole plain. We still have all this limestone. We still have a cap rock. So we're in, we're in some period of cave formation, I assume. Yeah, yeah. Do do cavers or hydro hydrogeologists differentiate as active passages, inactive passages? Is that is that a classification, or dry, dry, or flow, no flow? I mean, you hear it a lot, but really, it's the dynamic 
system. They, I don't I don't think that there's such a thing really as a dead cave. There's still some process going on, whether it's water or not. So I don't necessarily like the yeah. distinction yeah. because even if it's not forming – so the lowest levels definitely are, are, are water-filled right now and are still dissolving away and still forming – but, you know, we talked about formations growing. I mean, all those things are active processes. The cave is 98, 99% humid. And so you can even actually have dissolution from the moisture in the air that flows through the passage. And there's quite a bit of air flowing through 420 miles of passage. So there's all kinds of – the scale may be different, you know, small scale or, or much slower dissolution processes. But – there's all there's all kinds of things going on. Yeah. But yeah, the lowest levels are water filled. It's still forming. Um, we'll talk, you know, another thing I wanted to talk about was the exploration. But we do know like the outlet are these these big springs that you can go and visit when you go to Mammoth Cave. I would highly recommend to walk down to these springs. Oh yeah. Um they're they're phenomenal. And there's actually a lot of cave diving going on right now. They finally are, are allowing explorers to do this again. Oh. And so there's a lot of active push trips going on right now, um, cool. diving some of these different springs. Um, and so... They can have a good time. I don't know that. if I'm brave enough to <laughs> no, do something no. like that, but that sounds... I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love caves, but I do yeah. not want to dive in them. <laughs> I'll, I'll watch the video. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> I, I want to say one more thing about passage shape or type so it may yeah it makes sense that uh the the glacial influence will will you know dictate the the rapid incision versus non-rapid incision and give you maybe different passage shapes mm -hmm. but also can't you tell some things about water flow by features on in the cave itself so like, i'm thinking of scallops Absolutely. Like the, 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 your cave tour guide point out scallops are very prominent features on the cave wall. You can look at a scallop. Uh, maybe you want to describe a scallop, but you can look at one and maybe figure out like what direction the water was going at the time. Is mm -hmm. that right? Yeah. Scallops. How would I describe a scallop? <laughs> They're like... A dimple in the rock? Dimples, like sort of oval shaped, yeah. um, scoop shaped sort of bridges along the passage wall and so you can yeah you can use scallops to infer lots of things so passage direction there's a steep side of a scallop and sort yeah. of a long shallow side like a dune like a dune and so the water is flowing in the direction of the steep side mm, yeah there's some really funky passages in mammoth cave for example where the flow direction reverses as things change and so you have scallops going both directions, oh, so they yes. can be really phenomenal clues. So you, to that's, that's so pass. cool. I mean, that's why it's a hard question to answer. Like, which way was the water yeah. going? It's not that easy. Yeah, and the size matters as well. So you have really fast rates of flow with smaller and smaller scallops. The larger the scallop, the slower the water's flowing. So you can you can learn a lot actually from scallops along the wall. I had thought of like one more thing that's related. I talked earlier about the Caprock area being one of the slowest erosion rates in North America. And I said that was 1.7 meters per million years. And so for context, like the rate of erosion during these times of incision is 30 meters per million years. Wow. But that again is the incision of the valleys or the cave passages, not the Caprock ridges. Those are stable yep. pretty much. Um, and so you have this valley incision that's like way outpacing the denudation of the ridges. And, and that is huge as well. There's other caves in the area um, and you see signs on the road like, uh, come visit this cave. And they're, they're, uh, I don't know, the, the list we've got here, Great Onyx Cave, Crump Spring Cave, Wig Pistol Cave. I've never heard of that one. <laughs> Are these private caves? Yeah. Um, a lot of the caves. So I put together a little list okay. of other long caves in the area that 
these are all ones that are really close to the Mammoth Cave system that could potentially connect someday. And so this was, I was going to make a point as I talked about cave exploration um, is why I included this list. Yeah. And so let's, before I completely explain this then, yeah, yeah. let's bounce back to one of the facts you gave right at the very beginning. And that was the last thing you mentioned that in 1972, um, Mammoth Cave was discovered to be the world's longest cave system. And so how does that like all of a sudden happen overnight, <laughs> right? Said so. <laughs> Congress. <laughs> and so I thought we'd explain that. Yes. And, um, you know, I, I talked about some of the hydrologic and geomorphic reasons that Mammoth Cave is the longest cave in the world. But the other major reason is the human element. It's the cave surveyors, mappers, and explorers that have been working for, I don't know, that's, that's of decades to map Mammoth Cave. Um, and they're the reason as well that it's the longest cave in the world. So I thought I thought I would talk about how that came to be. So you had all these different sections of cave in the Mammoth Cave region. And we could do a whole episodes on some of this stuff. The, the Kentucky Cave Wars, for example, was a thing Whoa. where we had, um, you know, your your forest, your timber harvest is is one way to make money, but you can't really like farm these ridges, right? Like how how are you going to make money if you own land in this area? And so one of the ways that people discovered was they discovered pe other people will pay to go visit their cave. And so everybody wanted a cave. And the Kentucky Cave Wars were a time period where signs along the roadside would inch closer and closer. Somebody would put a sign out and somebody would put it 10 feet uh, more in front. Come to my cave instead <laughs> of this cave. <laughs> come to my cave. Come to my cave. Um, and it's all these little caves that people were finding in the area um, and just breaking, doing things so much as like breaking off formations in the cave to display in gift shops to draw people in, pulling out Native American artifacts to display to bring people in. And so it was this long sort of period and again that that's a whole other episode so i just wanted to mention that that's like, tu like tourism wars kind of like yeah that's, yeah try to draw in more tourists to make more money and so there was a time where you had all kinds of locals going out and trying to find the next big cave on their property to draw people in with and you had all these disconnected caves but as exploration became more organized, um, and you you had groups that would come together and, and survey and map these caves, they started to connect all these different entrances uh, and discovered that instead they were actually warring over the same cave, right? And so um, the first big connection for Mammoth Cave occurred in 1955, and that was when they connected what was called Unknown Cave to Crystal Cave. And when they made that connection, uh, the cave together was 23 miles long. And that was the longest cave in the world. And so they announced that. But then they found out uh, that Switzerland came right back. And they have a cave called Hollick um, that was 34 miles long. In Switzerland. In Switzerland. Okay. And that's called Hellhole uh, in English. So Hollick is, is Swiss, German. And so then you had this long period of exploration where they'd survey and explore and discover more in Mammoth or connect more, and it would get longer. But then, like, the same thing would go on in Switzerland, and they would discover more passage, and it would be longer. And so there's this long period of back and forth um, for about 20 years, actually. And then 1972 is really, like you said, that's the day that settled sort of this this ongoing competition. And so that was when you had the Flint Ridge cave system connected to the Mammoth cave system. And at that time, those two systems together became 144.4 miles. And so the length that we're getting now, you know, as it continues to increase, a lot of that is the connection of these other cave systems yeah. um, that they, they happen to find a connection. And part of the reason that that's so hard 
we mentioned that the cave was preserved under the ridges with the, the protective sandstone cap rock. And then you have these valleys of floored by limestone that separate the ridges. So these connections that are made are in very wet, tiny, like grueling passages that go underneath the valleys. Yeah. And they're miserable trips, and it's it, it takes it's hard to find. It, it, and you're wet, and you're cold, and yeah. you're it's tiny. And if it rains, you're in trouble. Um, so all of these things, like the water's got to be low enough that you can make this connection, the, these connections safely. And so this gets back now to like my other list of caves that I've I've got here um, for everybody to see. And so I've listed just a few of other caves in the region that are important, but that could also someday maybe be the next addition to the Mammoth Cave system. And so Great Onyx Cave is, is the first one I listed. And that's in Mammoth Cave National Park. And that's underneath Flint Ridge. And so it, but it has not it, been not counted connected as yet. Part of it. Oh, okay. really? They're really close in some areas, but they haven't made a physical connection yet. And so there's no doubt that it's a cutoff, like truncated portion of the system. But I mean, it still someday could be connected. Is that why the it's at four point four four six miles because it's been measured as <laughs> every little bit counts. <laughs> you gotta get there. Three decimal places. One more decimal place. Oh, that's very. Uh... <laughs> right. <laughs> so so yeah, there's about four and a half miles that you could maybe add with Great Onyx Cave, if that were to be connected. And that's a cave that they've, in the past, run tours through at Mammoth. As well. It's a really pretty cave, um, a section of, of cave. And so I don't know if they're still doing that. Um, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. If you ever get a chance, I, it's totally worth checking out. It does have nice formations in it. And you can tell really clearly in that one when you're under the cap rock and when you're not. There, you kind of, as you walk through the passage, it loops um, or bends, and it bends out from under the cap rock and back under. And so it's like wet, dry, wet, dry, and it's really like clear oh, wow. to see that change. And then some of the other ones I listed are just other large systems in the nearby ridges that haven't been connected yet, but it's not to say that they aren't. And so I, I, I listed Crump Spring Cave, which is 11.2 miles, Vinegar Ridge Cave, which is 10 miles, Wig Pistle Cave System, which is 34.6 miles, and then the big one is Fisher Ridge Cave, and that's uh, almost 132 miles long. Wow, so really? if you added Fisher Ridge Cave to Mammoth, you've, <laughs> you know, like you've got 550 miles of cave. Yeah. Like the potential there is huge. What's the next closest large cave system to Mammoth? All of those are, are incredibly close. Fisher Ridge is right there. It's, it's incredibly close. No, I mean, as far as the, oh. the total length in the world. Mm. Um, I mean, do you know? Uh, oh, sorry. What's the next longest? <laughs> I'll, um, I will look it up. I can find it fairly quick if you give this me. Is, this is a good time to say. There's a chart um, of that, I think, at the visitor center, and I can't remember. Yeah. But it's not even close. I don't even think it's there's anything close. This is a good time to clarify that the collapse of the Bowling Green Corvette Museum, which opened up, which swallowed seven Corvettes, uh, and opened up a huge cave beneath the museum, is not connected to Mammoth cave. Yeah, because that's on the sinkhole plane. But, I mean, I'm sure, Sarah, you've gotten that question a lot. I Is this connected to Mammoth Cave? I worked in Carlsbad Caverns in New Mexico, and I got that question. Oh, really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it's reasonable. It's in the area. But, yes, it's it's not it's not near Mammoth. It's a few yeah. tens of miles away. More and more. It's on the other side of the drainage. So, yeah. whereas the north of the divide water flows to the Green River. South of the divide, it goes to the Barren River, and that's close enough that that all probably goes through yeah, the Barren River. It's on the Barren River. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, pretty far. I mean, it's in Bowling Green. Yeah. Corvettes did not fall into Mammoth Cave. No. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you could drive a Corvette through Mammoth Cave? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, number two is listed as Sistema Sacatun, which is in um, the Yucatan Peninsula. Oh. Now, that, they... And I've actually um, been on an expedition to that area, and that's where part of the system is explored by divers because there's a significant underwater portion. And then part of the system is explored by, like, 
people like me <laughs> in the surface where like you connecting to dive lines, you may not have any idea who left that dive line when they hit airspace, but they'll leave a, a dive line and then like someday you'll be going along and survey into that dive line. And so that is a bit different of a, of a type of cave, but then the next one is jewel cave. Uh, and so, sorry. Um, in South Dakota. Yes. And the second one was 234 miles long, and Jewel Cave is 208 miles long. So yeah, nowhere, more than double. Not yeah. Even nowhere close. close. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. So uh, what counts as a passage? <laughs> uh, that's always <laughs> under debate as well. Like People have different, yeah. different states, uh, have different definitions of what counts as a cave. It's usually so long and, or so deep longer than the entrance is longer than it is wide i guess um some people say 50 feet some people say into the dark zone where you're not seeing daylight anymore but even that it, it gets really subjective but the main point is that length all these lengths that we've been talking about your 420 miles of mammoth cave that's all based on what's humanly enterable and measurable a human being can fit through the passage in order to count it as, order as a to total. And so, like, my my very favorite thing, um, Dr. Chris Groves at Western Kentucky University was my advisor. And he blew my mind one day when he just said, well, you know, imagine how long Mammoth Cave is if you're a mouse. <laughs> and I just, like, couldn't believe it. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be, like, Three, four, five, like how many times bigger, right? Much bigger. Much bigger. <laughs> so it's all sort of depends on like. To make mouse explorers. Put little like yeah. cameras or something. <laughs> little tracking Give devices the on the yeah, like A little string on their tail. <laughs> <laughs> Go, mouse. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> yeah. But gen generally it's what a human being can fit through. It's what's counted as passage. Right. I think they're fitting through things that I wouldn't fit through. Yeah, right. right. We would, yeah. <laughs> you do do some pretty miserable things. Fitting, squeezing, crawling, yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> One of the sort of pastime activities at caver gatherings is called a squeeze box. And it's basically two planks of plywood that you can adjust the height of. And there'll be a, a, a ruler on the side. And so you can go down, you know, start at like something easy, like a, a foot. And you'll you'll slide on your belly through that. Um, but then people get down and get really competitive getting to like six inches. And I mean, also, you can, that, that sounds fun, but also to see who might freak out before you go on a real trip. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the one thing that's sort of different is that the sides are open. Yeah. Whereas if you're in a passage, yeah, you don't have that extra. Covered. And yeah. you might be surrounded by water. Yeah. Which is really bad. Wow. Yeah. So I guess going back to connecting these different cave systems, there are now 29 entrances uh, to the Mammoth Cave system. And so... What are there only a handful of what the public can go in right on a tour? I mean, not even... Yeah. Four just or five. a few. Yeah. yeah, just a few. Yeah. The remember. historic entrance, obviously, the famous mm -hmm. historic entrance. Carmichael's one, the historic entrance, Violet City. Frozen Niagara? Is that an entrance? Or is that just a feature? I think just, it's a... I can't remember It's a what. tour. What's the one with the elevator? The elevator. Oh, that's called the elevator. Oh, yeah. Entrance. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which I don't think that wasn't think they, a setup. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that they let the public go down there until so more I, recently. That one. But uh, that was on a private. That was on a geology. Right. Like, KGS trip. They started doing more like accessibility based tours and and started using that for the general public. But um, I think when I worked there back in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, and prior to that, it was never available for use by the general public. Uh, so that, yeah, I think is a more recent development. But that goes right down to the Snowball Dining Room. Uh, right. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's highly recommended. And the snowballs are that gypsum crust that we were talking cool. about. Yeah, okay. yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. And then there's Native American activity. Yeah. Um, thank you. That's, that's really cool as well. And so uh, there are some classic archaeology studies uh, and some – the caves were heavily used um, by Native Americans. And so they found that going back about 5,000 years, people were entering the caves. Um, 
and going miles into the system, which is is really incredible. I don't think that you see anything quite like that distance traveled into a cave anywhere else. Um, I could be wrong. Maybe some of the caves in Europe. But as far as like distance from a nearest entrance, mm-hmm. I think that that's pretty phenomenal how far they went in the cave. And we're not totally sure exactly what they were doing either. Were they exploring for exploration's sake? There are passages that we know they were mining the gypsum off the walls of the passage. We have seen some of the upper level passages where the entrance wasn't open at the you know, 5,000 years ago, and gypsum crust lines uh, 50 feet up the wall. Uh, but then where passages that had this gypsum crust that were open to entry 5,000 years ago, miles into the cave, um, along main passages and side passages, the walls are bare. And they didn't used to be. It was all mined off, Um all the way up to the ceiling. And so they were climbing to these really precarious positions as well to, to mine this gypsum. And we don't know why. We don't know what they were doing with the gypsum. And there are various theories out there. But And so you'll find all kinds of artifacts into the cave and, and signs that they were there deep into the cave, which is really interesting. So um, other other sort of human activities, there's, there's a number of things that the cave was used for. And that was done in the cave. Another big thing that you would see if you went on the historic tour um, is the saltpeter mining. Oh, yeah. Um, the, the saltpeter vats are there nicely preserved in the entrance. And they'll, you, can, you can see those. And so they were mining and leaching potassium nitrate out of the cave sediments. And that was used to make saltpeter, which is used for gunpowder, um, which is really important uh, during Civil War times when you needed gunpowder. And so there's a lot of activity historically supported by these caves, I guess. So Mammoth Cave have big rooms compared to other cave systems? Or, I mean, it's very long, obviously. It's twice as long as the next one. But as far as the room, the large rooms that you go into, I mean. Right. The largest room that I can think of in Mammoth Cave is the Rotunda which is there near the historic entrance. Um, but no, uh, volume-wise, there are much bigger caves. Um, okay. So Carlsbad Caverns is large in volume. Your ceiling in that area is 300-plus feet. Wow. Um, and the, the trail that winds around the big room is over a mile long. And that's one room, basically. But it's Carlsbad? In Carlsbad. But that cave is formed differently. Right, yeah. So I guess that goes back to the formation that you're mm-hmm. dropping these levels. Exactly. So it doesn't have time to build exactly. huge rooms, I guess. But You've also got some, I think, the largest chamber, and it may not be anymore. But at one time, Sarawak Chamber in Borneo was the largest, by volume, chamber. I mean, some of the passages are big. But there's also much bigger around the world by volume. Yeah, I just think I I think when people think of Mammoth Cave, they think, oh, it's you know, huge rooms, and it I mean it's big to me, but I don't know context wise. But that's not why. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, Mammoth there's the, cave, that's why you have the amazing vertical shafts and mm-hmm. Fat Man's Misery and, and yeah. all these, you know. Yeah, the vertical shafts are interesting. We talked about levels and the oldest being those those top level passages, the vertical shafts are the last stage of development. Uh, and so what happens there is as that cap rock retreats and exposes at the edges the limestone, then the water runs off the edge of the sandstone and drills these holes, these vertical shafts straight down into the limestone. And so whenever you come across those in the cave, they just happen to intersect the passage there. Um, there's others that, that don't, that are just pits. They don't intersect Mammoth Cave. So those are the most recent passages, I guess. Yeah. And th- there's some where you, you do go through those on a tour. Like you'll go down just the staircase, yeah, metal staircase yeah. down. The shaft mm-hmm. is wet and narrow. And if you're afraid of heights, then yeah, it's pretty- you might want to think <laughs> twice. It's all the great, it's great. 
Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I think you either walk over or alongside bottomless pit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which was a barrier for early exploration for a long time. Yeah. Pretty harrowing story, I think, of them putting, I can't remember what they put across it, uh, but basically like crawled across the very top on like a ladder or something. I, I can't remember the exact story, but uh, terrifying. <laughs> Well, what, anything else? Um, I think we need a whole another episode. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, we mentioned this, right? Like, we could case. do a part two of a lot of these we things. Yeah. And um, mm-hmm. this is going to be the nature of of our conversations on this podcast. There's a lot to talk about. And so we can do part twos. I mean, we, yeah, there's definitely stuff we didn't get to here with Mammoth. Yeah, or just caves. Cave. I mean, there's a bunch yeah. of other caves yeah, in so Kentucky. We, yeah, we can do other caves in Kentucky, more about karst. In Kentucky, that that's definitely something we should do. I can think of several things. Um, I worked at Lost River Cave in Bowling Green, um, which is a single plane cave that's under the city of Bowling Green. You take the boat in, right? You take a boat in. And so I can talk about that cave um, and caves of the single plane and, and how they're different. That's the one with the Corvettes. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> You can talk about just uh, areas where caves form, uh, talk about groundwater quality issues. Um, and so, yeah, I can talk about caves plenty more, guys. Don't worry. <laughs> we, that's a part two for sure. Yeah, we got to do it. We got to do it. I'll make a plug for doing stuff on the surface at the park. I mean, yeah, there's totally. awesome oh camping gosh. at Mammoth. There's, like you said, go, go visit the springs. Like there's, mm-hmm. those are super cool to see. Yeah, um, can, there's can you, back, you can get a backcountry pass at Mammoth. Mm-hmm. You can do backcountry camping at Mammoth. Yeah, um, yeah the hiking is the hiking's fantastic, awesome. especially there's in the. Winter. I mean, I reckon the winter is a nice time to go because you can see everything and yeah, there's less bugs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but any time is a good time to go. Yeah. Okay. But you know, there's the there's just old school cabins there. That the campground's not bad. Uh, there's kind of the old seventies motel behind the, right, yeah. uh, the visitor center. That's, that's, that's not bad. Yeah. You right? can take it's, a ferry. Mm-hmm. Thing. Yeah. You have the, the, the ferry across the green river. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the, most people stay South of the green river. Um, but most of the park is actually on the North side. All of Mammoth cave because it flows into the green river is on the South side of the green river. Um, but most of your backcountry trails, there's over 70 miles of trail on the north side. And so I would highly recommend to get out there and see some of that less, less traveled area. It's beautiful. Wildflower season is amazing. Spring. Well, I, unless there's anything else, I think Sarah, you did mammoth cave justice. It it is fascinating. It's fascinating discussion. And mammoth is, it's it's amazing. It's it's Kentucky's. Yeah jewel of, of parks right it's 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 so cool i mean i would say in the southeast for sure yeah too. yeah I mean, it's famous. world world famous, famous place yeah. right, of course but it's the unesco world heritage site that's right yeah that's important um, I think. I mean, they've also got a biosphere reserve there yeah. and that's surface and under mm-hmm. i mean that's respecting what's on the surface and under. yeah blind cave fish great great plant species and wildlife. Yeah, we didn't really get into that. Some of the, so the critters. <laughs> the critters. <laughs> and play on plants. Okay, so Sarah, thank you for being our guest and our co-host. This has been great. Yeah. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening to the Big Blue Rock Pod. See you next time. This podcast was produced by the Kentucky Geological Survey at the University of Kentucky. Special thanks to Ben Corwin and Alicia Gregory at UK's Office of Research Communications for technical support. If you have any ideas for the show, email mcrawford at uky.edu. Thanks for listening.